and welcome into the latest edition of the Sharpshooters Podcast. I'm David Schuster, and we're brought to you by DraftKings. And this weekend's UFC 262 is sure to be a can't-miss event. Every punch, kick, and knockout means so much more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of UFC, is giving you a shot at huge cash prizes. For this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering all customers a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. If you haven't tried it yet, Fantasy MMA is easy to play. Just pick six fighters, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for advances, takedowns, and more. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Plus, don't forget about basketball and hockey, where DraftKings has even more money up for grabs throughout the week. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code TBPN for your shot at millions of dollars in total prizes throughout the week. That's promo code TBPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. It's only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Okay, we're recording this podcast. It's Friday afternoon, and at the moment, the Bulls are still mathematically alive for the final play-in spot for the NBA playoffs, but their tragic number remains one, and uh, that means that if the Bulls lose one of their last two games or if Washington wins one of its last two games and they have both games at home, that means that the party is over for the Bulls. And today, I wanted to bring in a longtime friend and colleague of mine, Andy Roth, who you can follow on Twitter at AR Hoop Talk. And Andy and I go way, way back. Andy, of course, is in the New York metropolitan area. I'm in Second City, although I think Chicago is now the third city, actually. I'm in Chicago, and we've been talking hoops for years and years. Actually, Andy, it's been decades. And I wanted to bring Andy in to talk about the Bulls and the NBA and actually get a little feel from somebody who's outside the Chicago metropolitan area to talk about the Bulls. And I know Andy keeps up with all the teams and the NBA, but I wanted him to talk about the Bulls specifically, and then eventually we'll get to the NBA as well. So without further ado, I bring in my good friend, Andy Roth. And uh, Andy, uh, the floor is yours. Well, first of all, I thought I might have to bill you because I have to talk about the Bulls. But since we go so far back, you know, I'll, I'll waive that fee. Um, I'll start off. I wasn't a fan of the Vucevic trade. I think it's a red flag that he played 10 seasons with the Magic and they had one winning season and that was 42 and 40. Now, granted, they haven't had a whole lot of talent, but to me, if you're really an impact player, you'll do better than that. And I hope for Bulls fans sake, it's not another case of Kevin Love who put up huge numbers on a bad team in Minnesota. You know, we thought maybe he was a top 10 player in the league and then he goes to the Cavaliers and we see he's a number three guy on a title contending team. Well, it's interesting that you say that. And I understand where you're coming from. Well, you know, he's being paired up with Zach Levine, who's now been in the NBA for seven years and hasn't sniffed the playoffs even once and, and likely is not going to get in this year either. So it's interesting. They're both all star players. And I'm sure the reasoning of upper management, and you have to take a look at what the Bulls had on their roster. They had Wendell Carter Jr., who was their starting center. And, you know, though he's a complete total effort kind of player, 
He's limited in what he can do. And honestly, he didn't have the size to be an NBA center anyway. I mean, they listed him at 6'10". That was a stretch. He's six eight and a half, six nine maximum. And though he tries to muscle up against bigger guys, every time he played against, whether it's a Joel Embiid or a Carl Anthony Towns, or even now, you know, an, an eight and out in Phoenix, he was at such a disadvantage. So it's a gamble. There's no question about it. And the biggest part of the gamble, Andy, is that they gave up two first round picks Though they're top four protected for a couple of years, they're still ultimately going to be two first round picks. So there's no question about it. And I understand where you're coming from, but I think it was a gamble worth taking because they weren't going to get a center any other way. And they have to find something to pair up with Zach Levine to maybe, maybe get him into a post uh, uh, post uh, uh, season situation. It's not going to likely be this year, but hopefully it'll be for the next few years after this. But for me, I really value the, the number one picks. And to me, it's having the long-term approach and not just getting into the playoffs. I think, for example, the patience the Knicks are now showing, the Bulls should have still shown that patience. You know, I don't think at this point you're going to be building a contending team with Zach Levine and Nick Vucevic as your top two players. So that, that, that's, the, that's the angle I take. And again, I, I think it is a major red flag that 42 and 40 was the best they could do with Vucevic. Okay, so if you say that, what I think you're saying is that they need even a player who's better than those two to complete the trifecta on their team for them to hopefully get over the top or at least into the playoffs. What position would that player be? I'll tell you what I think it is, but go ahead, you tell me. I mean... Just a, a player that really impacts the game in terms of winning a weak player or, you know, a, a high level uh, point guard, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, with Vucevic making the kind of money he makes and Levine having a big contract, you know, it really straps you financially. That's why, look, I'm a big proponent of the draft until this free agency got out of hand where players are joining other players. The draft has always played such a key role in franchises being con being able to contend for a title. And that's that's the approach I would take. All right. Well, it's really interesting because right now, I mean, uh, you saw the Bulls play the other night. Unfortunately, uh, Vucevic had a terrible game, the game that you witnessed uh, against Brooklyn. He had a, a terrible game. Other than that, he's, he's put up pretty consistent double-doubles. I mean, he's got 47 double-doubles in 70 games. That's pretty damn good for the season. And, and Levine obviously has been fairly consistent all season long in spite of fighting COVID at one stretch. He's averaging 27, 28 points a game. They need, as you alluded to, and I'm, I'm in total agreement, they need a third part of that tripod to get him over the top. I think it's a point guard. And, and you've seen what other teams, I mean, look what Chris Paul has done out to Phoenix. If you were to add a Chris Paul to the mix here, um, then I think you, you're really talking something special potentially. Who is that player out there? I mean, some people have thought it might be Lonzo Ball. I'll get your thoughts on that in just a second here. Kobe White has done the best he can, and I want your thoughts on him as well, to try and play point guard. I think he's even though he's gotten better here as time has gone on and he really does try real hard, 
I don't think it's in his DNA, Andy. And I think you're either a really true point guard, even though the game has changed over the years. I grant that. But I'm old fashioned. I want a true point guard who makes everybody better. And I don't think Kobe White, ultimately, that's what his role is. I think he's a sixth man. I think he can score 20 points off the bench consistently, a la Jamal Crawford, Vinnie Johnson, uh, you know, who other guys of that ilk. But I want somebody who's a point guard. Uh, they had a chance to get Halliburton at number four. They and many other teams passed him up. You know, So that's the kind of player that I'm looking for to hopefully complete the tri- tripod on the Bulls. And I do love Halliburton. That's a guy that makes plays that helps you win games. Absolutely. And, you know, getting back to quoting the stats about Vucevic with the double-doubles, again, a lot of times they can be empty numbers. I think if you go back to Minnesota, I'll give the Kevin Love example again, um, he was Mr. Double-Double. But then when he went to Cleveland, again, we saw that he was a number three guy. And getting back to the draft, you know, Halliburton is, is an example where you might be able to get that point guard at number 12. I'll give you another guy that I love, a young player that would be perfect for the Bulls, and that's why I believe in the draft, is a guy like Shea Gilgis-Alexander. So, I, I, again, I would have been patient. I would not have gone for Vucevic. I would have just kept on building through the draft. Okay, well, it, it's still potentially they could still get a draft pick this, this year. Like I said, it's top four protected I haven't studied the draft. I know you probably have poured over it already, you know, tooth and nail. I'm told it's going to be a good draft this year. Time will tell, of course, if it's top four protected. The best thing the Bulls can do is not make the playoffs this year, okay? Lose or, you know, just not make the playoffs and then get lucky in in the lottery. And there have been instances where big market teams, you know this, they get lucky, hint, hint. And, and, and maybe they get a top four pick and maybe they get something this year to add to the mix. I mean, that's the best of all case scenarios as far as I'm concerned. No, I agree with that. But it still remains the problem that that guy has to be a major talent. Because, again, I don't think you're a contending team with with Vucevic and Levine as your top two players. And by the way, as far as Kobe White's concerned, I watched him a lot last year. His biggest problem was himself, a lack of confidence. He was very tentative. He was hesitant. Um, you could see, you could almost see the nerves out there, but I think he's got a good skill level. I think lately he's been better. He's been more aggressive. I think next year will really be a telltale season for him because these first two seasons during the pandemic have not been normal seasons. But there will be pressure on him because, let's face it, for the first time maybe, hopefully he'll be playing in front of a packed arena where you get a chance to be booed, too. And I, and I do want to bring up one other player that we haven't talked about, and that's really a bad reflection of him, and I think you know who I mean, right? Larry Markkinen. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, I, knew, I knew you were going to say and, that. Go and here's what I say about Markkinen. When I watch Markkinen, the thing that stands about out about him is that he doesn't stand out. You know, when I watch the Bulls, for example, this year, Levine stands out but there was only one other player that stood out for me. We haven't met. Well, I haven't mentioned him yet. And that's Thaddeus Young. He does the things that help you win the playmaking, the efficient scoring, the passing, the screening to me, marketing a lot of times is invisible on the court. You know, it's interesting, Andy also, and I'm glad you brought up marketing and, and, and I don't think he's going to be a bull next year because, you know, he gambled on himself this year. Uh, they didn't sign him to a new deal. 
Um, he's going to be a restricted free agent upcoming, but I think they're going to renounce the rights to him to get some money, depending on what happens, you know, with that with the draft lottery pick, of course. And I think they're going to go in a different direction, and we'll talk more about that in just a second. The thing about Markinen, he's got such a size advantage going for him. He is a legit seven-one, legit. And you know, at the at the power forward position. Listen, he can shoot from the outside. I mean, you know, he's got that European big man outside mentality, but he doesn't or isn't aggressive enough going inside. And that's where you have to at least mix up your game to be able to do both and take advantage of your size advantage that you have over most power forwards who are guarding you. And and I've seen it at times with this guy, even in his rookie season, his best game actually was at Madison Square Garden against the Knicks. It was fairly early on. He had like a 30 and 15 game. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, this guy's going to be fantastic. But then he goes into his shell for whatever reasons. Then, unfortunately, after uh, uh, for him, at least, you know, they made the trades at the trading deadline and he was relegated to the bench. And he's handled it okay, but he's not the same player coming off the bench, what player is, after you've been a starter. So I just think his time is about to you know, expire in Chicago, and they'll use that money that they would have paid him to go to a different direction. That's my guess. My take on him, he doesn't have the physical skills to be a really good player in this league. Not athletic enough. The foot speed is too slow. And in this league, when – you're not a major athlete. You have to be have major skills. And to me, that's not marketing. Okay. Now you've seen on other teams, you know, they have the center and the guard combo and it works, you know, the pick and pop, uh, the screen and roll, yada, yada, yada. Um, if they're able to add some other players to the mix, can Vucevic and Levine, and listen, they've only played together about 15, 20 games. So, you know, you, you have to see more of it before you know for sure. But do they have at least the potential to be a duo that can compete with other teams that have those same combos? I think, you know, offensively, they could possibly be a really good combination. But then, you know, we've discussed off the air about Vucevic and his defense. Now, again, to be a high-level team this league you've got to play high level defense and do you trust Vucevic to be able to do that and Zach Levine along with Kobe White well Levine has gotten better I will give him this I mean he he truthfully and honestly puts effort into his defense and and you and I you're right we've talked about this a lot I'm a firm believer that if you're a good offensive player, you should be at least a decent defensive player because you know all the moves that, because you have them yourself and you should recognize them and everybody else and take pride that they don't do to you what you're trying to do to them. So I've never understood why good offensive players are not at least decent defensive players, but it's a lack of heart and effort on a lot of people's parts. Um, oh, but, you do, but you do have a player there. That should be capable of being an elite defender. And we're talking about Patrick Williams. Yes. Now, I don't know if people in Chicago have been a little disappointed, but for me, um, there's been enough good signs. The first time I took a look at him was in a pre-draft workout, both one-on-one um, -on -one drills and scrimmaging with uh, other NBA players, including a Spencer Dinwiddie. And, you know, his skill level stood out to me. And to me, he does remind me, in terms of his physical tools, of Kawhi. The huge hands, the length, and the strength he exhibits, despite you know having somewhat of a thin frame. 
And um, to me, I think it's a good sign. He's been able to knock down the three. I like his ability to jump shoot off the dribble. I think if he tightens up his handle a little, you know, he'll break down defenses on a consistent basis. You know, he finishes well with either hand. And I've even seen some playmaking chops. And, and keep in mind, 19 years old, and I'm going to stress this because I stress it all the time, with these rookies, especially with these one-and-dones, don't rush to judgment. They're light years away from being a finished product. I'll give you two examples. Bradley Beal, in his third season, averaged 15 points a game. Did anybody think back then that Bradley Beal would be a 30-point scorer, a dominating offensive player? I don't think a lot of people thought to that extent. The one other example, which is clear-cut in terms of not rushing to judgment and not knowing what a player is, when the Thunder traded James Harden, who came off their bench, did anybody think he was going to be an elite player, an MVP, and a perennial MVP candidate? The answer is no. No, the answer is actually yes. There was one person who thought that. James Harden. No, James Harden. Right. Right. (laughs) But nobody else. James Harden knew if he could shoot the ball 30 times a game, he would probably be an MVP a couple times over. Um, You know, and and I'll answer another one of your questions. Uh, Did anybody think that Bradley Beal would be an efficient high-end scorer like he is right now? And there is one person. And guess what? That's his college coach, who is the Bulls head coach right now. That's Billy Donovan. And there's many rumors going around, and I want your thoughts on this one as well, that the Bulls, that money that they might save on marketing, they might throw at Bradley Beal at at some juncture. And I'm not really sure what his free agent status is. Um, I think think he's a free agent. Is he not, Andy, upcoming? No, I I don't think Beal is. Okay. I'm not positive. Okay, I'm not sure about it either, but there's a lot of talk about him ultimately being a bull. And But, you know, he plays the same position as Zach Levine. Now, Levine, I guess, could go down and slide down to the power, or excuse me, the small forward position. But I think, actually, that's where Patrick Williams should grow as a player at that position. So I don't know where Bradley Beal would fit in on this current Bulls roster. I do think Beal has the chops to be a playmaker. And, you know, at this point, with where they're at, that would be worth taking a chance on a, on a high-level talent. Now, it may not work out, but, you know, remember, you, you always don't have a, a multitude of options. That's true. That's true, unfortunately. Let's go back to talk about Patrick Williams. I'm in agreement with you, although sometimes I get so frustrated with this guy, but I always have to remember he is still a teenager. He hasn't even turned 20 yet. He's the second youngest player in the NBA, if I'm not mistaken. But here's where he's lacking even still. And he talks like he's he's overcoming it, but it's not it's not evident in games. He's not aggressive. He he defers to everybody else on the court. And that's part of his DNA. We talk about DNA a lot, but that isn't his DNA. And if you go back to his one year at Florida State, he was the freshman. He came off the bench. He was the best player on that team, likely already. But he deferred to the older players, and that's exactly what he's doing here so far in the NBA. And when you throw him out there in a starting role, and that might have been an injustice to him, I'm not really sure, but he only puts up three, four, or five shots a game in his 28 minutes. Something's wrong there, Andy. I don't, and, and I, I don't know what they have to do. They have to inject him with something to get him going. 
Now, ultimately, when the season's over, he's going to average nine points and four and a half rebounds a game in 28 minutes. Not terrible, but not as good as he can and will be. There's no question about that. But there's time to change that mindset. Um, I look at R.J. Barrett last year, who yeah. lacked confidence, and it's not unusual for rookies to waver in their confidence. For the longest of time, I would look at rookies that come into the league and see them pass up shots that I said to myself, if they're playing in college, they're playing in high school, they're in the playground, they wouldn't pass up that shot. Do yourself a favor. Go watch that workout video, that scrimmage that Patrick Williams was playing in, that Spencer Dinwiddie was in. He was jacking up shots. You know, but sometimes, you know, it takes time to feel comfortable, to feel confident. Look at a guy like Anthony Edwards this year. Yeah. First two and a half months, he was one of the most inefficient players in the NBA. His shooting numbers were horrendous. And look at the turnaround we've seen over the last six to eight weeks. Yeah, and we're going to talk about him because I want to get to so some of the postseason awards. I preach patience with the rookies and especially the one and dones. Okay, fair enough. A point well taken. Um, I want to talk about the Bulls coaching staff. Uh, Billy Donovan has definitely got the right chops. I mean, he's got uh, a lot of creed in this NBA. And I think ultimately one of the best things about them signing him, Andy, and tell me if I'm wrong, you know, he's obviously a good coach. That goes without saying. And he's a thousand percent upgrade over what they had previous in Jim Boylan. Oh, my God. But one of the things I think that he brings to the table that has not been discussed is that he will be able to help if or when they do go after free agents. Billy Donovan in college recruited some hell of a players at, at Florida. And those players that he recruited back in his days as a coach are now going to be free agents in the NBA. So he's well familiar with them and they're well familiar with him. So I, you know, I like Billy Donovan a lot. The one thing I don't like so far, and we're talking about Patrick Williams, it's that he hasn't been able to draw it out of Patrick Williams. But I think that'll happen in due time. And then I like another member of his staff a lot. And I think you'll agree with this. Maurice Cheeks is one of my favorites of all time, you know, both as a player and as a coach. And I think when you have a Maurice Cheeks, he can help a Kobe White. He can help whoever is playing that point guard position. The only other guy that I would put on on that same level as being a coach who did it and, and performed it and can teach it would be Rod Strickland. Those are my two favorite point guards, I think, of all time. Well, we're, we're in good company there. I used to love, love Rod when he played for the Knicks. I was actually sad when they, they got rid of him and they, and they kept Mark Jackson. Look, it's good to have guys like that in place, but we also know the way you attract free agents these days is you've got to have the roster. And that's why, you know, Knicks fans are a little more optimistic that they'll now finally possibly draw some big-time talent. And I think that's still going to be necessary for the Bulls. They've got to show that they've got – a winning culture and, and and talent to where one piece is added and then you really take off. Well, I think the winning culture, unfortunately, is still not there because they're not going to make the playoffs yet again here. However, they can say that we have two legitimate all-stars, whether they've performed in the postseason, which they haven't, obviously, it, you know, is, is another story to be told, but they do have two legitimate all-stars. And I think with Billy Donovan, now all of a sudden, and Arturis Karnishevis has got, who's who's now, you know, the, the puppet master, you know, he, he supposedly has good creed around the NBA as well. So I think they're on the right direction, I guess, is the best way of putting it. See, I, I feel a little differently. To me, for Vucevic and Levine, you've got to prove it. For example, 
I don't know if you saw about a month ago, Carl Anthony Towns said, I can show that I can put up, put up big numbers. <laughs> I haven't proven that I can win. Well, and Vucevic and Levine have to do that because go back to when Towns and Wiggins were there. They put up numbers, but they were terrible. And, you know, it's a whole different thing to put up numbers and to, and to winning games. Yeah, well, Wiggins and Towns did not get along. That, that, that was pretty well known also. Um, Kevin Durant, who just played in that game against the Bulls, and they're going to play again tomorrow. We're recording this on Friday. He was very complimentary of the Bulls. He thinks, you know, and I don't know if he's just blowing smoke. He might be. But he was very complimentary after the game the other day, saying, I think the Bulls are a team that will be on the rise. That was what he said. But just keep in mind that people like Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal compliment people, and they don't know what they're talking about, Dave. <laughs> Sorry. Well, that part is true. I won't argue that. That part is true. Um, all right, let, let's go around the NBA because, again, uh, with two games to go, the Bulls, they're likely not going to get in. But I do think, Andy, I'm, I'm a little bit – and listen, believe me, I'm not, a, I'm not an optimist by any stretch of the imagination. I'm, I'm a realist. And I just think that the Bulls had to do something at the trading deadline. The roster that they had just wasn't good enough. And 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 they weren't going to win anything with Wendell Carter Jr. So it's a gamble, but we'll see if it pans out at some point. Um, let's talk about some of the postseason awards that are upcoming. The MVP, I think we're in agreement. I think we'll be in agreement on all these. I think it's Jokic's award. Um, it's interesting. Embiid was the leader in the clubhouse for a long time, but his injury sort of knocked him out of it. And I just looked at uh, ESPN's top five. They didn't have Russell Westbrook at all in the top five. I'm going to be honest with you, Andy. He's my number two for MVP. I think what he's done to at least put Washington in a position, and I know it's a barely getting into the playoffs, I think is, is nothing short of amazing. I would probably go with Curry number two. Okay. Because I just still feel – he, again, impacts the game even more than Westbrook. I mean, look at the attention he drew the other night with four guys defending him out on the perimeter. You know, it's it's understated the way he cuts and moves without the ball and the kind of pressure he puts on a defense. I've always said he puts more pressure on a defense than any player in the league because the way he plays the game. You know, when, when you play defense – it's a real pain in the butt to chase a guy all over the court. And what people fail to realize, when, when you play that way offensively, you're tiring the other team out, which makes it tougher for them on defense. I'd much rather play a team that plays isolation. If I'm guarding a guy in an isolation, my other four teammates are getting a vacation. Yeah. So to me – I love what Curry does with and, of course, without the ball. Yeah, and, you know, and if there was ever an answer to a question, who's the one player that you have to guard once he's 40 feet away from the basket? It's definitely Steph Curry because that's almost like a layup to the guy from 40 feet out. I've never seen anything like it, and and you know what? You may never see anything like it ever again. But But think again how much attention you have to pay to him without the ball. That's true. Where he creates havoc. And that creates opportunities for teammates. You know, and we're not even talking. I mean, Luka Doncic has had a good season. He was the odds-on favorite going into the season, but he's not going to win the award. Chris Paul has been incredibly important to Phoenix, and we've already talked about that. And we're not even talking about the two-time defending MVP uh, uh, guy and, and Giannis, who 
all of a sudden Milwaukee's playing some really good basketball and they're knocking on the door at the top of the Eastern Conference. So there's been some really good candidates. And even before he went down, honestly, Andy, for a long stretch, I thought James Harden was the MVP. Yeah, you sure. Know, he he was amazing. Over, I mean, with the other two guys not even in the lineup, he was putting up numbers that were obscene. Yeah, they, they've played so much better when Harden's been in the lineup with one of the other big three than, than the other two. And by the way, I've, I've got to say something about Jokic. For people that don't have the league pass and they don't see him on a regular basis, you really can't appreciate them. This guy is a maestro. And the way he impacts them on offense is just incredible. For me, he's really almost a bigger version of Doncic. And even his ability on the dribble handoffs, the screening, it creates so much opportunity for his other teammates. He's been he's been phenomenal and and somewhat underrated as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and and he's kept them still winning even without Murray, who's you know been out of the lineup. So I mean, there's no well, good and David. See, he's the MVP. there's a perfect example of a guy putting up numbers and they continue to win. Let's not forget after they lost Murray, they lost Barton, uh, they lost Dozier, and they lost Monte Mars. And they still continue to win. And by the way, Michael Porter Jr. is scary. Yeah, he is. Um, they'll need him to play like that to be a factor in the postseason. But at 22 years old, the sky's the limit. Eventually, this guy's going to average 30 a game. Yeah, he's, he's a hell of a player. All right, rookie of the year, it's two guys. I think LaMelo Ball did enough before he got injured and missed a major stretch of the season. Uh, Anthony Edwards has been incredible. I mean, you, you, you summed him up perfectly. For two and a half months of the season, it was like, oh, my God, this guy was the number one pick. Now you know why he was the number one pick. And, you know, when he went against the Bulls, and it was one of his games where early on he started just all of a sudden putting up a consistent 22, 25 points a game. And Patrick Williams should have seen what Anthony Edwards was doing, becoming more aggressive, and learned even from his fellow rookie uh, player in the NBA. But uh, he's been fantastic. Like I said, I think LaMelo Ball did enough, and now he's come back from injury on top of it to uh, probably win the award. Yeah, and I view this award different than the MVP in terms of losing games. Like you said, Ball, I think, established what kind of player he was and what kind of impact he had on that team in the games he's played. All right, Coach of the Year, three great candidates, Quinn Snyder, Monty Williams, Tom Thibodeau. I think Monty Williams is going to get it for a couple of reasons, Andy, but I can't discount Tom Thibodeau. I would give the award to Tom Thibodeau, um, <laughs> maybe because I've been around him for so long. I know what he's all about, but I think ultimately Monty Williams will probably win the award. I think he will too, but my vote goes to Tibbs too. I look at it this way. They've got Chris Paul, Hall of Fame point guard. Devin Booker, big-time scorer going back the last couple of years, and a number one overall pick in DeAndre Ayton. Nice space to work from. The Knicks' three best players going into the season were Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, and Mitchell Robinson. I think it was a lot more likely that the Suns would exceed expectations than the New York Knicks, and that's why I've got to go with Tibbs. Okay, and, and fortunately for the Knicks, God bless him. God bless them. They added Derrick Rose, which leads me to the sixth man award. Uh, Derrick, if he would have played all season with the Knicks and it stayed injury free, he might be in the running for it. Unfortunately, because he didn't, he won't be. I think Jordan Clarkson wins the award, but I got to give a lot of credit to Derrick Rose. He's, he's always going to be one of my favorites for a lot of reasons. 
I think Clarkson gets it. It's ironic you bring it up because Zach Lowe announced his award ballot, and he's going with the guy that I would go with, Ingles. and that's Clarkson's teammate Joe Ingles, yeah. who's been tremendously efficient, yeah. one of the greatest shooting seasons we've ever seen, um, great playmaker, good defender. Clarkson really, up until the last few games for about two months now, has been totally inefficient. He's a volume scorer, and to me, if Clarkson wins, wins it, it's the wrong guy. All right. We, we mentioned Derrick Rose before we talk about uh, the upcoming playoffs. I've, I've had this running debate with a couple of my buddies here in Chicago. Again, I'm probably jaded because I've watched Derrick Rose since he was, you know, 15, 16 years old. I've been watching him play basketball. Um, rookie of the year in the NBA, youngest um, MVP in league history at 22 years old. Um has done so much, unfortunately, has overcome not one, not two, but three major knee injuries. I think he ultimately will get into a Hall of Fame, the Basketball Hall of Fame, which is not the NBA Hall of Fame, the Basketball Hall of Fame. And you got to remember that Derek also won a couple of uh, high school state championships. And Andy, in his second state championship, he was the MVP of the game. He scored two points, Andy. He was the MVP of the game because he fed – one of his teammates, I can't remember the kid's name, he scored 30. Derek was all over the court that game anyway. But to me, Derek Rose, for all the things that he's done and overcome and still is a hell of a player and still has, I hope, good years still in front of him, I think he makes the Hall of Fame. I think so, too. And it's funny you talk about a game where he scores two points, but it's called about making winning plays right. and impacting the game. I've been super impressed for the fact that we know He's lost his athleticism and his explosive speed, but he's still been so highly efficient. And one of the things that he has to his game where Kobe White has to improve is that shiftiness with the dribble. Um, Kobe White's got to improve in that area. Derek Rose can still shake and bake on you and break you down and, and just such a high basketball IQ. Well, that's the Chicago basketball in him, just so you know, Andy. Right. And even though he's playing in New York, he keeps always saying, hey, man, that's the Chicago in me. <laughs> that's <laughs> good. That's good. That's good. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the playoffs. Um, it, it's gotten a little bit more interesting. I thought once upon a time it was going to be Brooklyn and, and the Lakers. And hey, listen, it still might be ultimately, but it's gotten more interesting in the East. Brooklyn, Philly Mil and Milwaukee, like I said, they've come on. So it's going to be really interesting the, the, the semifinals and the finals in the Eastern Conference. Maybe not right off the bat, but those will be interesting series. You know what's crazy about this playoffs? So many X factors. Will Giannis finally perform? Will Paul George perform? And then the injury factor, LeBron and AD, Harden with his hamstring and Donovan Mitchell with his ankle. It, you know, it really leaves it up for grabs in, in that regard. But... If everybody's healthy, I do like Brooklyn in the East. I've got to go with the three elite players. But, you know, it'll be a tough road because likely they'll get the number two seed, which means they've got to first beat Milwaukee and then Philly if form holds up. <clears throat> and, you know, their one Achilles heel is, you know, the lack of size and bulk up front. And they've got to deal with that with both Milwaukee and the Sixers. Okay, and out in the West, I mean, obviously it's been Phoenix and Utah jacking back and forth, and there's some really good teams further down in, in the standings also, like there always is in the West. The Lakers might well, probably will have to play in this stupid play-in series, but 
you know what, Andy? As long as LeBron is healthy and if AD is also healthy, I don't know. I just can't see anybody beating them. You know, and Schrader's got to come back healthy too. Yeah, they no, no, nobody can match up, you know, with AD and LeBron. The the Jazz, you know, they they've got Ingles up front and Royce O'Neal, guys like that. How, how do you how do you deal with their front line? Uh, Rudy Gobert actually does not defend well against talented bigs one on one. And that's what Anthony Davis is. You know, Jokic and Embiid uh, have taken Gobert to school this year. So Utah, L.A. is a bad matchup for them. And, um, you know, Denver's hurting without Murray. I think they can do some good things. If Again, if Porter plays big, uh, I wouldn't discount Phoenix. You know, so many people talk about, oh, they lack experience. Well, it's a different situation every year. I don't think because you lack experience, that means – it will be a detriment. I go back to the year before the Warriors took off and won the title. They gave the Spurs hell in a six-game series, and they didn't lose because of a lack of experience. They just weren't as good at that point. All right. Before we get to a final segment here, and by the way, our final segment that I do on this podcast is called Walk Down Memory Lane Segment. And this is just something from my broadcasting, reporting past, or even any time in the NBA or even college over all these years. So I'll ask you to think of something that you want to talk about, a memorable time from your, your covering and being part of the uh, basketball scene. But I want to ask you because um, I'm hoping that LeBron does not win another championship because then he gets a little bit closer to Michael. And I'm very jaded on this one. I admit being from Chicago that Michael Jordan's the greatest athlete I'll ever hope to be around for a litany of reasons. But you're an outsider. You're not from Chicago. So I'll throw it out there. Michael or LeBron, go at it. Um, I think you know the answer. I'm going to give you the same answer that Earl Monroe has been given when he said, when he was asked, is it Jordan or LeBron or somebody else? And I'll go with the Big Dipper. And let's put it this way. As far as an athlete, he is in another galaxy. I know the young generation said, oh, he played against plumbers. I mean, plumbers like Kareem and Willis Reed and Walt Bellamy, and Nate Thurman, and Zelmo Beatty, and Dave Cowens, and Wes Unseld, and Elvin Hayes. And think about this, Dave. People really don't absorb it. He averaged 48 and a half minutes for one season and 45.6 minutes for his career. I'd love to ask LeBron, how would you have held up if you played every game of every season for your career and averaged over almost 46 minutes per game. And you know what, Dave? I love to go on YouTube to watch old videos of Wilt, and there's the comment section. There are thousands of old-time basketball fans that think Wilt is the GOAT. So that's my answer. All right, fair enough. That's a good answer also, and your and your points are well um, you know, stated. Uh, it's funny because I saw that someone put up, whether it was on YouTube or somewhere else, they showed some defensive highlights of Wilt the other day because he's not known, you know, when you think of Wilt, you think of the dunks and the 100-point game and all that kind of stuff. But you're right. First of all, he was a track star. So right. Wilt, Wilt, Wilt was fast. And they showed him one time running from behind, and he was like about 10, 12 strides behind somebody. He caught up to him as the guy was going up to put a, a layup and a balcony or something like that. But he was fast. I mean, he was almost like 
the fastest guard I ever saw dribble basketball was Randy Smith. I don't, oh, I don't yeah. think I'll ever see him. Tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. The fastest ever. Wilt looked like Randy Smith running up and down the court. That's how fast he was. So you're right. Wilt, Wilt was amazing. I don't know if you can ever say there's the greatest of all time. I, you know, but the, the argument between LeBron and Michael just sort of irks me because I'm always going to put Michael on that pedestal above mm. LeBron. I, I would go with Michael, but two stories about Wilt. He beat Jim Brown in a track race. Right. And, you know, you, you bring up block shots. Um, Sonny Hill, a Philadelphia basketball legend that knew Wilt well, he talked about the time that Wilt blocked 26 shots against the Pistons. Well, you can go online and see an article from a Christmas Day game against the Suns where Wilt blocked 23 shots. He had eight blocks at the half. Jack Twyman, in the halftime interview, pissed him off. Wilt went out and blocked 15 shots in the second half. He blocked 25% of their field goal attempts. He was amazing. There's no question about it. You know, and for those who are not familiar with, especially early Wilt, okay, when he came to the Lakers, he was still a really hell of a good player, but he was also, you know, he had Jerry West and Elgin Baylor and some other guys on that team. You go back and take a look when he was on Philadelphia and when he was at his physical prime, um, he was something else. Uh, And and I want to give you one other story that people don't realize. 69 season, about 12 games in, he ruptured his patella tendon. He played. He came back the same year. It's the year they lost to the Knicks. But he wasn't the same athletically. But in the 72 West Finals against the Bucks with Oscar and Kareem, he was the reason they won the series. He shut Kareem down. Kareem shot about 45% for the series. Wilt blocked 17 of Kareem's shots. Game six, Lakers down 10 with nine minutes to go. Wilt scores 10 points to rally them. The Milwaukee fans gave Wilt a standing ovation. Yeah, Wilt Wilt Chamberlain was something else. All right, our walk down memory lane segment, I'll throw one out there, and we've done so many over all all these podcasts. And I'm going back to when I was actually a teenager, and I was at a game at the old Chicago Stadium, and I'm terrible on years. I'm going to say it was 1972. and the Bulls were playing the Portland Trailblazers, okay? And actually, I think that's the year when Portland ended up – no, actually, it was probably even earlier than that. Anyway, Sidney Wicks was on the Trailblazers. Norm Van Leer was on the Bulls, okay? Norm Van Leer and I got so many stories because he ended up being a very good friend of, of mine, uh, God rest his soul, um, and just one of the all-time characters in basketball. But Norm was a very fiery player. And, and Norm would, would Norm would tap and go after anybody, no matter how big they were. Sidney Wicks was a legit 6'9", 240 pounds. Right, yeah. Uh, Norm was 6'1", 180 pounds, you know, ringing wet, okay? But he backed down to nobody. And, and there was a confrontation on the court, and Norm was in Sidney Wicks' face, and Wicks was drawing at him. Norm, just like out of wrestling, went over to the sidelines and picked up a chair – and was running after him like in wrestling, and it was going <laughs> to hit him over the head with the chair. Now, he got fined. He didn't get suspended for that, Andy. He got fined all of, I think, $2,000, which nowadays that would probably be $50,000 and probably a 10-game suspension. Right, now. right. But that back then, I guess it was more acceptable. I don't know. Oh, but by was, the way, it, Sam Jones once picked up a chair to fight Wilt because that's the only way it would be a fair fight. And, and, and the chair still wouldn't have helped him, to be right, honest with you. Right. But yeah, I mean, this, you know, the memory, 
of, of, of a 16 year old myself is Norm Van Leer running all over this old Chicago stadium floor and trying to get after him. Now Wicks to his credit ran off the court. He wasn't going to get hit with a chair. He ran off the court. And, and finally the security people stopped Norm from going after him. But that's just one of my many memories. The Norm Van Leer, uh, I partied with him. I'll be honest with you. Um, and, and, and had some really good times. He always called me point guard. That was my nickname. He had right. a nickname for everybody. Cause you know, I'm only whatever size I am. So he called me point guard, but he was one of the all timers. I'll give you my most memorable game as a kid. I had season tickets to the Knicks and, um, they were playing Milwaukee with Oscar and Kareem down 17 with about 521 left in the game. They scored the final 18 points. That garden was rocking more than you can ever believe. And remember, no three-point shot. To rally against Kareem and Oscar down 17 with five-plus left was unbelievable. And I've been at the garden, obviously, nowhere near, you know, as many times as you. But I've heard that place in the different gardens over the years get louder and louder. It shook. Yeah. It shook. It was amazing. All right. Well, Andy, I do appreciate you joining me here on uh, on the Sharpshooters. This has been great, Dave. Yeah. Long uh, time coming. Long time coming. And we'll do it again semi soon. I, I promise you that. And, and, you know, I love talking to you all the time. Well, as they as we said on Sports Phone, stay with us.